Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Happy Halloween, listeners, and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the hemisphere-spanning podcast for all things forgotten and fantastical, with me, Conrad, gathering lockdown cobwebs in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, actually attempting to do 31 days of horror movies in October in Melbourne, Australia. Ooh. We focus on horror, sci-fi and fantasy films because we love being permanently locked indoors with no end in sight while hordes of infected, maskless zombies pound on our doors. Right. <laughs> I mean, they have rights, don't they? They do. They don't have to wear masks. No, they don't. It's no. a zombie's right. And if they want to eat your brains, they should be able to. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I hear you recently uh, watched some new movies. I did, yes. I did manage to get some tickets for the London Film Festival. So I've seen Shirley, which mm -hmm. is a biopic about Shirley Jackson, the writer of Haunting of Hill House, the original yes. novel. Yes, yes. Directed by Josephine Decker and starring none other than the Invisible Man's Elizabeth Moss. Ah. Really good fun, actually. Right. Delicious period drama, bit of a psychological mind games thing going on with her manipulating a young couple just for her own intellectual amusement. Oh, wow. So... She's not a nice person, Shirley Jackson. <laughs> oh, okay. It <laughs> doesn't appear. And I saw Relic by Natalie Erica James. Great Aussie horror film. Yeah. I thought that was okay. I enjoyed it. I really loved the movie. It wasn't groundbreaking. I thought it was. I really, really loved it. My taste in horror, I'm not looking for jump scares. I'm looking for chills and dread. Mm. And Relic for me was... Lots of dread. Yeah, I did spend a lot of it peering through my fingers, I'll have to admit, yeah. Yeah. I thought it played on its theme of dementia versus spooky presence mm. really well. Yes. And you watched the third film, Conrad? I did, yeah. Last night I managed to see Possessor, Brandon Cronenberg's second movie. Oh. And that blew my socks off. Really? Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. So he has refined his craft since Antiviral? He has, yes. It's very much like Antiviral in that he and Karim Hussain, his cinematographer, have created a very specific world that's very deliberately designed and astonishing to look at and wow. slightly unsettling. Okay. And it's, it's gory as fuck. I mean, oh, wow. it is really, in the, the most violent scenes, incredibly violent and deeply disturbing and distressing. I'm not going to spoil it, but Sean Bean is in the movie and you know what sort of tends to happen to Sean Bean? <laughs> he lives up to his <laughs> reputation then. 
<laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was the highlight of the festival for me. So I wow. very much encourage everybody to check it out. High praise. Everyone yes. got to watch Possessor. Mm. So, Conrad, any high praise in our mailbag today? We do. We have a lovely email we received from Maya, a new listener, who said, oh. Hello, Dan and Conrad. I've just recently started listening to your podcast, and I love it. I especially appreciated your reviews of Return to Oz, Flight of the Navigator, City of Lost Children and Melancholia, all favourites of mine. I have a few suggestions of movies I love that nobody's ever heard of when I mention them. Oh, yes. The Fountain, uh, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Love The Fountain. Yes, it's one of my favourite I've never movies. seen it. <laughs> really? Oh. oh, I love it. One I'd never heard of, Frequencies, directed by Darren Paul Fisher. It's not the one with Dennis Quaid? No, I love oh, okay. the one with Dennis Quaid, <laughs> and we might do that one at some point. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, we could do a frequency double bill, <laughs> but I don't oh. think thematically they're connected. I think this is like a strange dystopian future romance, this one. But oh, okay. uh, Maya says, I just love the whole idea. So original and interesting. And she also suggested Never Let Me Go, directed by Mark Romanek. I've seen which, that as well. Yes. Yes. A, I've seen that one too. It's a tearjerker, that one. It is with gorgeous music by Rachel Portman, and mm -hmm. starring mm -hmm. none other than Andrew Garfield and Kira Knightley and Carrie yeah. Mulligan. So, yeah. Great suggestions. Wow. Great suggestions, Maya. And if you would like to suggest and nominate movies to be in future episodes, then do become a patron of ours on Patreon because you can vote for as little as a dollar. Mm. There you go. Get in there. We also, of course, heard from young Serge of Cold Crash Pictures. Oh. Hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. Who, talking of Rawhead Rex from our previous episode, said, Rawhead Rex is a decent enough monster run amuck movie with a dedicated cheapness that I find endearing. <laughs> but the second half sort of loses the thread when the script tries to beef up the themes while the production rushes through a pretty dull and ill-defined final act. Hmm? So there we go. Pretty similar to what you said, Conrad. Yeah, I think so. I think we're of a mind on that. He's working on a Birds of Prey video for his channel next, and he's hinted that there may be some cosplay to look forward to for Halloween. So, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm excited to see him. So just Halloween. <laughs> yes. Let it be. <laughs> uh, please do, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. So, <laughs> Also, in honour of Rawhead Rex, we asked people to name some of their favourite obscure monster movies. And Nick said that he'd seen some really odd creature feature films recently. Creepazoids from 1984. Okay, I haven't seen that. Nick says it's terrible. Right. Uh, <laughs> the Deadly Spawn <laughs> from 1983 was pretty good. And finally, Humanoids from the Deep, 1980, starring none other than Doug McClure. Okay. <laughs> executive produced by Roger Corman, which Nick says was better than expected. Kind of like a creature from the Black Lagoon meets Jaws with some questionable half-man, half-salmon fish suits. Prime <laughs> oubliette material. Wow. That sounds like fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I would like to watch that movie because it's got a really early score from James Horner on it. And yeah, I would like to see that movie. <laughs> Maybe we could get uh, the uh, horror queers back on. They do love aquatic horror. They do, yes. Damp horror. That should be right up there, Ali, shouldn't it? <laughs> we'll ask them. Thanks for that, Nick. That's really good. And finally, we heard from Brian Kletch, and he said his favourite creature feature is Prophecy. Bit cheesy, but lots of fun. It's worth checking out. It's got an ecological narrative, good cast, and some heck of a mutated monster. Sure, it looks a bit rubbery, but it is fun. The rubbery, the better, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So lots of creature features to check out in Horror Month, maybe. Thanks for getting in touch, everyone. Yeah, we do love to hear from you. So check us out on our socials or email us at movie.oubliette.gmail.com. Yes. So what are we doing today, Dan? Well, it is Halloween after all, so mm. I'll just walk down here into the dark. <laughs> of course. That's what every self-respecting person does in Halloween. Ugh. What's going on in here? What's all this hammering all about? It's so loud. I think the movie's just here. Okay. Oh, was it home improvement or what? I don't know. Someone's redecorating, I think. <laughs> so what's our movie for today? Well, today we are doing the remake of Night of the Living Dead that came out in 1990. Mm. And this movie is celebrating its 30-year anniversary this year. I think it's just oh, celebrated wow. it on the 19th of October. So happy 30th. Yeah, and on Halloween too. Yeah. What are the chances? I know. The horror film is celebrating its anniversary <laughs> on Halloween. There we go. It's uh, directed by Tom Savini, though, the uh, special effects oh. extraordinaire, and stars the incomparable Tony Todd, Patricia Tallman, Tom Towles, McKee Anderson, William Butler, Katie Finneran, and Bill Moseley. Oh. So what happens in this version of Night of the Living Dead? Do zombies invade the Earth? Well, <laughs> Or is there a twist? <laughs> well, I think you got to have zombies for a remake of Night of the Living Dead. So the film focuses on Barbara while visiting of the course. grave of her recently deceased mother with her brother Johnny. She's attacked mm. by the undead. After Johnny succumbs to Tombstone to the Head, she escapes <laughs> and finds herself taking up a new hobby in carpentry. <laughs> Aided by the level-headed Ben, as well as your usual incompetent, panic-stricken characters, they try to keep the living dead out. Mm. Will they escape the gruesome horde, or will they be eaten alive? Ooh. Also, side note, Barbara is a badass in this movie. Ah, does she uh, master the art of sourdough bread baking? Uh, I think it's a different type of uh, <laughs> viral fiction type movie. Oh, okay. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but we will be joined by a special guest. Who will guide us through this treacherous remake territory. After the break.
Okay, welcome back. Our guest today is a confirmed devotee of horror and chocolate in equal measure, and according to the editor-in-chief of Bloody Disgusting, John Squires, is the hardest working writer he has ever encountered, to which I would add one of the most insightful. I'm very excited to welcome to the show Megan Navarro. Hey! Hello! Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. So you're in Houston, Texas? Is that right? Correct. So that's us on three continents again. <laughs> yes. Three different time zones. Very different time zones. Yes. <laughs> but it's Halloween everywhere. That unites us. So how do you normally celebrate Halloween in Houston, Texas, Megan? What's your normal routine? I don't know that I ever get to take a break or a breath to celebrate properly because it's the busiest time for a horror writer on Bloody Disgusting. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> as many horror movies as possible, trying to come up with original content for Bloody Disgusting and trying to cram in as much like holiday as possible, like haunted houses and, you know, pumpkin patches and things. How is it for you guys? Are you big on Halloween? Uh, over in Australia, it's not a big deal. It's mainly uh, kids that celebrate it or um, uni students, you know, having Halloween parties. But apart from that, it's pretty much it. It's not a big thing over here. Aww. No, it's the same here. I always buy candy in great amounts in the hope that I'll get some trick-or-treaters and I never get Aww. any, so I have to eat it all myself. What a shame. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to do the whole horror movie marathon that people do. So every day of October, watch a horror movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this year I am attempting to achieve this, uh, but usually I just don't get around to it. And I, I barely <laughs> even watch any horror movies that month, usually. Really? Oh. None at all, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just very disorganized, I guess. <laughs> Look, in the States, it's pretty easy to do because every like basic cable channel is playing non-stop horror movies right. so all you have to do is turn the tv on and you have access but i guess that's because halloween is big here yeah yeah because it's not a day anymore it's a whole month isn't it it now? is yes <laughs> busiest month in the year for you it is well thanks so much for taking some time to speak with us and for picking a movie too now the movie you've chosen is night of the living dead but not the original the remake mm -hmm. which is interesting i was wondering if you could kick us off by talking about why you chose this movie and what your personal history is with it? I chose it for a few reasons. One, it's the 30th anniversary of the movie. Mm. Two, it's very interesting discussion piece as far as the merit of remakes, because for me, I saw this one growing up before I saw the original. Um, you know, I remember accompanying my dad to the video store, and so this was brand new on the shelves. So this was my introduction to the movie. Uh -huh. um, and I sought out the original because of this movie. So I have a soft spot for it. I think critics were pretty harsh on it. I mean, I won't say it's a masterpiece, but I do think that they were unfair to it because of such high regard for the original. Mm. But yeah, I picked it for that. And it's also like, it's a perfect Halloween movie too. So so it's kind of a 
smorgasbord for you. <laughs> yeah. So I hadn't seen this one before. Really? Had you, Dan? I've definitely seen this one. Because um, I'm a very late bloomer in terms of the horror genre. I didn't really start watching horror properly until uh, well into my 20s. So I decided I'm going to watch all the zombie movies, <laughs> all the classic zombie movies. So I started from the beginning, went through all the Romero films and ended up watching the remake of Night of the Living Dead. And yeah, I think it's an amazing film. I think it's a vast improvement from the original. Wow. I mean, the original is a classic, but there are many scenes in this that are just very well choreographed and framed. Um, I think it's a hidden gem in terms of like zombie horror. I agree. I have a tendency to like remakes and sequels when I know I really shouldn't, especially <laughs> in cases where there are undisputed classics that come before them. Like, I'm particularly fond of Jaws 2, even mm. though I know that I should like Jaws more. <laughs> but but I kind of like teenage slasher Jaws <laughs> more than I like the original. And I like 2010 more than I like 2001, even though I really oh, wow. I know I really shouldn't. <laughs> you should like what you like. There is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. No, that's very true, actually. And even I have a soft spot for Gus Van and Sant's Psycho, which in itself is an interesting one to talk about because it came out in the same decade mm. as this Night of the Living Dead remake. And it's kind of interesting to compare the two because both of them are remaking a monumental 60s classic that redefined the genre. Mm -hmm. And both of them were critically not very well received. Mm. And they're quite different mm -hmm. because Gus Van Sant's is pretty much a shot-for-shot -shot remake, whereas yeah. Night of the Living Dead 1990 kind of plays with your expectations of the original, which is fun. It does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I do almost feel like the remake Night of the Living Dead is almost a movie made for horror fans. Yeah. Even the opening scene where John is going, they're coming to get you, Barbara. It's like, <laughs> that doesn't really make any sense unless you've watched the original because it just seems very out of context when he's <laughs> saying it as well. <laughs> he does seem like a very antagonistic sibling, for sure. Yes. Which I'm sure many people can relate to. Somewhat, somewhat. I don't know if you have siblings, but I feel like you kind of grow out of that after a while. Yeah. So it is a very interesting dynamic. I I think that the remake helps me get the dynamic more so than the original. I mean, I feel like it's more to set Barbara up as this mousy girl being bullied. You know, even her brother rags on her. So yeah, I get it now. I think the remake kind of helps in that respect. Yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, character development, I think Barbara is much better mm. in the remake than the original. Absolutely. That was the only thing that Savini, I guess, really, he wanted to do something drastically different. Um, but between George Romero writing the script to this movie and the producers, like, the only thing that I think he really got that he wanted was he wanted a Ripley-like character, female hero. Sure. And so Romero wrote him one. Yes. So I love this version of Barbara. Yeah, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because in a lot of cases, when men are writing, quote-unquote, strong female characters, what they tend to write is just men mm -hmm. that are masquerading as women, mm. yep. which is something that Sigourney Weaver complained about a lot when she was getting sequel alien scripts coming across her desk that they wrote Ripley as this gun-toting bitch, mm. which Ripley isn't. And this version of Barbara, so instead of becoming catatonic, she is shocked by the death of her brother, but then she, as the movie progresses, she transforms into a pretty serious survivor with a rifle in hand. Mm. I love the way that her clothes change 
change as well. So yeah. she starts the movie in like a twin set and pearls <laughs> yes. and glasses. And the first zombie attack during that scuffle, he takes the glasses off and pulls the pearls off and the cardigan goes too. And as the movie progresses, she adopts trousers and boots and, and mm. she ends up in like a vest top and oh, she's yep. like ready for action. But I'm not sure that the film necessarily paints that in a positive light. I think because she sort of joins the redneck posse that are shooting people. So it's like, is this a good thing? Because the right. film, I think, is kind of winking at you a bit about that. Yeah. I can see that. I really love the sort of progression of just her attire. I get really annoyed with films with the female lead and they're still wearing high heels and still <laughs> in a skimpy dress right to the very end. At least Barbara has the sense to go, hang on, maybe I shouldn't be running around in this skirt. Maybe I should put on some trousers and combat boots. <laughs> it's yeah. much more sort of appropriate. Yeah, she used whatever was laying around in that house. So yes. she's a scavenger for sure. And yeah. they don't sexualize her as well. When she's dressing, it's not some slow motion, mm -hmm. close up sexual scene. It's just a matter of fact, she's just changing clothes and that's it. It's not sort of dwelling on it, which is uh, refreshing. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's no love interest. Yeah. No. And also Ben isn't the hero. He kind of saves her, but not really. She kind of makes it out by herself. She doesn't need a man to save her. Absolutely. Savini was, or Romero, whoever's idea this was, was a little bit ahead of the time. You know, like Wes Craven's credited for doing the kind of meta horror with New Nightmare and Scream. But at one point, she point blank says, look, guys, these guys are really, really slow. We can just outrun them. It's kind of like this <laughs> winking nod to the audience that zombies are like these sluggish things yeah. that, you know, why are we so scared? I thought it was a clever little meta twist. Yeah. yeah. Now, this film was very much ahead of its time, I think. Uh, you look at everything else that was in the market, and it's pretty much comically gothic figures invading pastel neighborhoods. So it's Edward Scissorhands, it's the Adams family. Uh -huh. It's sort of non-threatening and funny most of the time. And in the middle of that, you've got this, which is pretty brutal, pretty stark. And the way Savini intended it was supposed to be quite violent and shocking and gruesome, I think was what he was really hoping to go for. Mm. I know that he wasn't very satisfied with the end result. It seems like he's come around now that time is removed and he's seeing that there is an audience for it. But yeah, he said um, in interviews before that it, this is about 30% of the movie that he actually envisioned. Oh, wow. Because like you said, he wanted something gory and gritty and definitely way more action focused. And then he happened to be going through a divorce with custody battle at the time. So personally, this was not a good time for him either. Yeah. So for his feature debut, I think he had a rough go. Has he directed much since? I was trying to figure out if I'd seen anything else that he'd done since then. Uh, I don't know that he has done any full-on features since. No. A lot of like segments and episodes and definitely... Because after this, he's talked in his um, Smoke and Mirrors documentary that he did end up getting full custody, which basically tethered him to Pittsburgh. So I don't oh. think his directorial career took off in the way that he would have intended. Right. Sure. The ending of this film, it's very bleak. It's a bit of a doubt. <laughs> I mean, Barbara survives, but now she's surrounded by a whole bunch of 
rednecks shooting lynched zombies, it's not a pretty future, I guess. But at the same time, it's somehow more uplifting than the original. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in that, like, there were kind of rednecky people in the original and nobody made it out alive. Sure. So she at least has, like, a way station to hopefully find some better crowds to survive with. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and she's very self-aware mm. because as she looks at the lynching that's going on, she says, we are them and they are us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. she recognises that they've gotten as bad as the zombies by the end of the movie. So it's dark, yes, but at least our main character isn't shot and dragged onto yeah. a bonfire at the end of the movie. Wow. Yeah. Yes, that's very true. Yeah. Um, uh, also, when she does go back to the house and Cooper emerges and he's still alive, and she shoots him. I, such a fan service moment there. <laughs> Very gratifying. Yeah, which, you yeah, know, it is. I don't know what that says about us as an audience, but it is super gratifying. It is. It shouldn't be, should it? It should be sort of morally questionable, but you're kind of fist pumping when she does it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Tom Tolles plays such a good villain. Like, he is your character actor for, like, the worst of the worst human beings. Yeah, that's I mean, that's one thing I've always found in zombie movies. Uh, yes, it's The Walking Dead and it's a whole bunch of killing and gory uh, scenes. But zombie movies are always two things. They're satire, obviously, looking at our society, our consumerism and us as literal zombies in our daily lives. But also zombie movies always look at how people react as well in a very, very stressful situation and who comes up on top at the end. Mm. And I thought this movie was a very (laughs) good example of those two kind of themes that zombie movies always have. I agree. Yeah, there's always this pressure cooker environment. I think that all comes from the original and I think it's been replayed in lots of different stories, including various Stephen King stories with different external threats. Sure. But it's always fun to have people under siege and see how they become their own worst enemies. And in fact, I think in this movie, is it true to say that the humans cause more casualties than the zombies do? The zombies don't seem to be that much of a threat, really. Yeah. Like I said, she says we can just outrun these guys and they (laughs) kind of shoot themselves in the foot at every possible turn of of surviving. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. It's pretty impressive how many different ways they can manage to get themselves killed without the zombies. Does a zombie even bite a single person in this movie? Um, There's obviously Karen prior to the movie's beginning. Mm, And then, yeah, no, because... Ben, he turns after being shot. Mm. I don't know. Oh, mom. Mom oh, yeah. gets bit by her own daughter. Rather than garden troweled to death. It's <laughs> true. But I do appreciate the very subtle like reference to that with the blood splattering on the trowel against the wall. I mean, <laughs> that's very cute reference to the original Mr. Savini. Yes. Mm. But it is interesting that for all the amped up violence in the film and the fights with the zombies are very visceral. I think Savini was going for much more physical contact, actually seeing people hitting people. So you have lots of really great scenes where rubber weapons are being smacked over actors' heads and and then real weapons are being smacked off of rubber heads. And it's a good combination of the two and he manages to fake you out because it's so well choreographed most of the time. Mm. But for all of that, the zombies really aren't the main antagonist here. It's the people. Yeah. And that's a very like Romero trademark. They never really have been about the zombies that's just peripheral 
In terms of action scenes and um, tense moments, I thought this movie does it very, very well. And the fact that you can't really see out the windows, there's always kind of curtains or, or doors being uh, nailed over them. And so there's this overwhelming threat that's always there. Mm-hmm. There are moments in this film that I literally jumped out of my chair because <laughs> of just something, an arm coming through a window or, yeah. or something. Uh, and it was really refreshing. And it wasn't precursed by the high strings or the silence or anything. It wasn't expected. In that vein, the thing that I I liked, I guess, maybe the the more modern budget, obviously, is that Savini gave you kind of a lay of the land before they get to the house. You know, between Barbara running from the cemetery, you get to see some of the foreshadowing, like this gas pump that's going to come into play. Sure. And I think once it goes dark, the camera kind of gives you a lay. So there's the claustrophobic house setting, but then you kind of get this, like, isolated feeling of this looming threat that could be coming from anywhere. Mm. So I, I really appreciated that aspect, like of how he blocked and framed his shots, mm. especially for, for the landscape. Yes. The blocking and framing, it's amazing. Like the cinematography in this movie is just incredible. It's almost Hitchcockian in some of the scenes going up the stairs kind of reminds me of Psycho a little bit. Mm-hmm. And just the use of light as well. It's Really, really cool. Like when Ben is walking up the stairs and his shadow is this kind of menacing thing in the background and then he goes into a room and it's just his silhouette uh, in the doorway. It's, yeah. it's just, it looks amazing. Like <laughs> cinematography is exceptional in this film. Yeah. One thing that I did notice because I watched the original today yes. to compare, that's one thing that it does suffer. I'm interested to get your feelings on the difference between the original's black and white photography, which was never that sort of lush, silvery Mm. photography. It was very stark, very, very contrasty. There's sort of chiaroscuro lighting and you have lots of scenes at the beginning with Barbara huddled in pools of light in this house that's full of threatening shadows and Mm. talking about the windows looking out into the night in the original. Because of the paucity of the lighting outside, Mm. the zombies do really emerge from this sort of eternal void of blackness from nowhere. You just get the sense of there's nothing out there and there's just these figures emerging from the blackness and I think perhaps this movie being colour and being the 90s and being a a little bit more flatly lit it's not Mm. completely flat it's not Mm. TV flat Mm. it's not quite the same in terms of how expressionistic it is I think that's a fair thing to point out. That probably contributed a lot to its reception because you're right. I mean, if you're looking at style-wise, the first one has the edge. And I think when you look at kind of the flatness of the lighting, and it's just almost kind of, I want to say garish, but that's the word I'm going with for the moment. Mm. Tom tried really hard to kind of subvert expectations, and he did that by casting almost everyone to look near identical to their original character. Except I think Barbara's the only one really who doesn't she's the standout i mean tony todd was cast because he looks a lot like dwayne jones plus he was good but when you have a movie where it visually character wise looks identical but it's not as stylized i think that's gonna be a big flaw for a lot of people Mm, when they're evaluating the two i mean i would actually say that the original almost looked a bit clumsy with some of the cinematography. I mean, it was very rough and ready and incredibly low budget. Right. But 
I don't know. I did find a lot of the scenes in this one much more nuanced and perfected, I guess, polished. Right. And I kind of appreciated that. It's definitely more polished. Hmm. Lighting-wise and the, the color palettes of the production are a little more drab, probably appropriately so for the setting. But it's sure. it's like a little polished versus kind of almost guerrilla style gritty. So yeah. I think it's more of a pick-your-flavor type scenario. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I saw on YouTube that there's a colorized version of the original Night oh, of the Living Dead. And no. oh boy, does that look wrong. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Megan, uh, you mentioned Tony Todd. I loved him in this film. I haven't really seen that many films he's been in. Obviously, Candyman. Yeah. Um, but he just pops off the screen. Um, both Patricia Tolman and Tony Todd really stand out in, in yes. this movie and really hold it up in terms of characters. And they were both not annoying right. and resourceful, and they actually did the things that you wanted characters to do in horror movies. <laughs> you know, they didn't shoot at a gas pump with a shotgun. Or, um, <laughs> You know, dumb things like that. <laughs> oh, poor Tom. <laughs> yeah, they were not the first choice of this movie, which is kind yeah. of crazy when you think about, like, how drastically different the tone and, and the entire thing could have turned out. You know, Tony Todd happened to be in town working on another project, and he was desperate for this role, and he insisted that he be allowed to read for this role in, like, five minutes, and he was sold. I mean, he's amazing in this movie. Mm. I'm kind of convinced that this was what helped him land Candyman. Right. Because this was a year or two prior. And Patricia Tolman doesn't get enough credit because she was a stunt woman, especially oh. in horror, like Creep Show 2. She was a lot of the stunts, especially in the, the raft segment. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know. So she was really an inspired choice, but she wasn't his first choice. Savini asked Caroline Williams, you know, he worked with her on Chainsaw Massacre 2, but she happened to be busy doing something else. So then he's like, I'll go with this other friend that I went to college with. And yeah. Second choices worked out well yeah. for this movie. Yeah, they were both amazing. Uh, even the introduction of Ben when he first meets Barbara, I really loved the fact that she was just in you know trauma. She just witnessed her brother dying and she was completely speechless, unable to talk, and he was trying really hard to communicate. And I really loved that scene because it was quite sort of realistic in terms of how you would react and him kind of trying to navigate and get information out of her while still sort of investigating the house and finding as many weapons and things he could find. It's really cool. It was a good scene. I love that. I guess that was also subversion because, you know, he's take charge and she's meek and mm. having a breakdown, understandably so, but that's not where their narratives end up. Yes. Mm. It's like a reversal. Yes. One thing I really like about Tony Todd's first appearance is that it starts on a metallic hook which turns out to be a tire iron. Oh, yeah. But it's weirdly prescient of his next role. <laughs> right. I didn't even realize. Somebody saw that and they were like, you know, you would be perfect for this. <laughs> yeah. Let's get the guy with the hook. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Tom Savini film. Uh, we can't not mention the special effects. He is the godfather of horror special effects. He did all the Romero films. I especially love his work on Day of the Dead, which for me is actually my favorite Romero film. He definitely toned 
the effects down in this movie, it wasn't as gory as I expected. Well, um, he actually didn't do them. He oversaw, he approved the designs, but oh, he actually right. delegated those to, uh, I think it's John Bulick and Everett Burel. And then the MPAA was extremely ornery during that period of time. Right. So a lot of the stuff that he wanted to do, they said no, which is crazy, especially when you look at what passes today. It's like The Walking Dead does yeah. above and beyond what, yeah. you know, they did. I know. Walking Dead is, especially sound effects wise, it's just, come on, yeah. turn it down just a little bit. Just because you're poking a little bit of flesh doesn't mean it sounds like <laughs> you're sticking your hand into a corpse. It's yeah. But I do appreciate the designs that they came up with. I guess they studied a lot. I mean, like these zombies look less cartoonish like they look more jaundiced and what you would look like if you were mm. fairly recently dead and had no blood sure. you know so the design is pretty great especially comparatively speaking to the original yeah i think they looked at lots of forensic pathology books and i think holocaust photographs as well and oh picked up from there that the skin has this sort of yellow pallor and the features get really large as people's skin sort of sinks in so you get these big ears and big noses so that's what they went for so they oh. are disturbing but it's fairly low-key it's not over the top it's not like a bernie writes an ec comic come to life which right. is the kind of thing you'd gotten from michael jackson's thriller and so on it was sort of cartoony but fun yeah mm. but at the same time some of the coolest stuff is not in the movie i've seen some cut sequences mm. like during the gas pump section of the movie there is one scene where tom shoots a zombie's head off i think it explodes oh wow it's in the cut scenes on the making of but yeah, the MPAA, not surprisingly, did not go for that. Oh, right. It's kind of sad that some of the really fun effects that they did for the movie, they're all gone. All of the headshots as well are cut down. So they cut to them sort of a few frames in, so that's just the mist rather than most of the effect. Right. It's quite sad, right. really. They did all this work. Oh, I did not know that. Wow. Because, yeah, definitely way less blood than I expected. Yeah, I have to say the body shots that they do, like you would actually have sort of squibs going off on skin, apparently. Mm. That's pretty amazing. I'm not sure I'd seen that before because Robocop and all those sort of hyperviolent movies are used to squibs going off under clothes. Sure. To see them going off under appliances on people that are ostensibly shirtless and the middle of the forehead. Yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. I think that got him into a little bit of a bind at some point because oh. um, have you seen there's the storyboards he extensively storyboarded and there's a scene in the movie where like a really skinny zombie pops through the window and Barbara shoots him a few times and then shoots him in the head uh -huh. but the storyboard like the original was that a female waitress zombie would pop through and she would kind of hallucinate and see her mother in that zombie as a callback to the gravestone they visited. Oh. But something went wrong with the squib on her, the actress's forehead and she got knocked completely unconscious. Like oh. She fell back, the shot was gorgeous, he loved it, and then they were like, cut, but she didn't get up and she actually got a concussion. Oh, wow. So the producers were like, legally, we're going to have to cut that because we have no idea if she's going to press chart. We don't know what's going to happen. So like, oh, wow. that was not the intention. And so... What ended up happening in its place was this skinny zombie. 
Right. So all of the stories that probably happened of like what this movie could have been. Yeah. But what it is is not bad at all, I don't think. No. Yeah. You do kind of wish that you could see Tom Savini's intended vision, though, don't you? A little bit. Yeah. But you also wonder, like, if it's like his first feature and he's got all of these ideas, were producers right to restrain him? Or, you know, what would he have come up with? Like a crazy from dusk till dawn zombie style? Like it's I I would like to see two cuts, the Savini cut and, you know, the one that that we got. Mm. Because as we've mentioned before, Conrad, uh, often when you don't give restraint, to directors, uh, they, they produce something just too crazy to even watch. Yeah, there are a few directors that spring to mind in terms of making amazing movies as their first movie under a lot of restrictions, and then when they're given carte blanche for their sophomore effort, it just goes to hell in a handcart. Mm, sure. <laughs> Won't name any names. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure Megan can think of a few as well. Oh, yeah. In terms of zombie movies, are you a big fan of zombie movies, Megan? Uh, for me, it was my introduction to horror because zombies for me aren't as scary as something like ghosts or demon possession or that sort of stuff. So how are you in terms of what you think Night of the Living Dead, the remake is in the zombie oeuvre? I I like it. It's kind of hard to gauge compared to now when we're getting almost like a renaissance, like Train to Busan and and things like that are amazing. So this one, I feel like I'll always have a soft spot for this, but I do think it's aged a little bit compared to where we're at now. Sure. But I was always a monster fan. So anything that could be remotely monsterish, which includes zombies, like I like it all. And I think in horror, you always have trends that ebb and flow. So, you know, you go through fatigue with certain genres. So I think Mm. for sure zombies had a bit of a fatigue, but you can't ever discount any subgenre because there's always going to be at least one voice that proves that there's always new angles. Yeah. So it was very long-winded. I don't even know if I answered the question. <laughs> no, no, I, I completely agree with you. I'm a huge fan of monster movies. Yeah. Not necessarily big, you know, Godzilla-type films, but I really like that claustrophobic monster movie, like Alien or yeah. like Mimic as well. I like that sort of very tense, close space environment, and this film really ticked all the boxes in that respect. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing I find fascinating about them is, as we've said before, that it's not really a about the monster very often. It's a lot about society's reaction to it. Yes. And I wonder in this one, what is it a reaction to? I guess that's another question because Romero's movies are always seen as very much a product and a comment on their times. Mm. Um, The original is a reflection of the civil rights movement in the 60s. Dawn of the Dead is very much concerned about the consumerism. Day, I think, is probably talking about the military industrial complex. I'm not sure in the 90s where everything's sort of pastels and happy and Bill Clinton and saxophone playing. (laughs) I have this theory that horror is always at its best at a time of social upheaval, you know, of social strife. You can see a great rebirth in the noughties after 9-11 and whereas the 90s I just get this sense that everything was sort of ticking along fairly smoothly (laughs) but maybe I'm idealizing I mean I do think that there was a little bit later in the 90s things like the Gulf War but not at 1990 
And I think the other strike against it upon release from a critical standpoint is that it was overtly a cash grab. I mean, with all of the rights issues and copyright issues that they had with the 68 version where, you know, went into public domain and they didn't necessarily want that to be the case. Uh This was a way of producers and Romero trying to hang on to their rights to the movie and as hopefully making more money by having a remake because they didn't make near as much money as they should have with that original. So it was a cash grab Mm. um, and it didn't really necessarily feel applicable to a timely strife. But at the same time, it's definitely prescient and timeless. You know, like you could take this concept and apply it to now or you know six months ago or you know even four years ago like it's a story that maybe didn't justify it as a remake on a social level Mm. but it's at least timeless where you can still embrace it yeah i i do agree the remake is kind of timeless like there isn't a huge focus on 90s things right like i don't know discman or or, or 90s soundtrack that everyone's playing i don't no Nirvana songs or something. No cell phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's true. looking at it in that sort of respect, it does seem very timeless. I find with a lot of the remakes of Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween now, it's always of the time and they date very quickly. Exactly. Watching the remake of Night of the Living Dead, it doesn't seem dated, even though you did mention it does seem a bit dated now. But I don't think it does. No, I mean. For themes and character-wise, it's timeless. But aesthetically, I think it looks a little bit more dated. And I don't know if that was just a style choice or a budget choice and that it's, you know, like Conrad is pointing out, it is kind of like flat looking and a little drab. But part of that's the rural setting and part of that might just be budget. Mm. So in that respect, it looks a little dated. And maybe some of the dialogue could be a little dated too. But yeah, characters, their interactions, the fact that nobody can get along in an apocalyptic universe Mm. is very on the nose. (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) I mean, there's one quote in the film where Ben says, doesn't take long for the world to fall apart, does it? And it is a bit true. Sadly, yes. Mm. (laughs) Now it's time for Random Trivia. So, Dan, just us for the trivia section today. What fantastic piece of trivia have you found in the basement of a dilapidated house for us? One thing I found out is at the 39-minute mark, there is a female zombie that can be seen in the foreground of the house. She changes direction towards the house, attracted by the banging uh, of the people hammering doors onto windows. Uh, That (laughs) woman (laughs) actually owned the house, and uh, this was her cameo in the movie. Oh. <laughs> Was she bothered by all the alterations that were going on? I guess not. <laughs> Maybe it was an improvement. You never know. A new, very dark, fortified house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ideal for COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's our trivia. It is. How do you feel about the middle section of the movie? Because I've written in my notes, Act 2, The Hammering, because (laughs) there does seem to be a large portion of this movie taken up with hammering bits of wood against windows windows and door frames. (laughs) 
<laughs> one of my favourite Christmas movies is Scrooged with Bill Murray, and there is a scene in oh, that where yeah. he shouts, will you please, for the love of God, hold the goddamn hammering. <laughs> 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 that just popped into my head while I was watching the movie. Yeah. Do you think it drags in the middle? It kind of does, but then it doesn't, because he's trying to incorporate subtle character details like... Barbara changing, um, evolving, snapping out of her shock. You have mm. him winning over Judy Rose and her boyfriend. You get a little character insight there. I think it's further developing the dynamic between Cooper and Ben. Just, he could have, I think, added one or two scares in there that might have livened it up. But yeah, I think that Act 2 always dragged beginning like with the original and this one so maybe Romero might have not been the best person to rewrite a script that he was far too close to yeah I mean yes there was a lot of hammering and it did drag (laughs) a little bit but I actually appreciated people doing resourceful things and taking doors off hinges and nailing them to windows I thought that's really smart I wouldn't have thought to do that it was a teaching moment for you yeah I think so you know this is things for me to remember when the zombie apocalypse actually happens so yeah punch through the door make sure it's sturdy for windows (laughs) yeah exactly Can we talk about the score? The original, of course, was hampered by a low budget, so it's using library music Mm -hmm. throughout. Although great choices of library music, and they've kind of become iconic. Mm. But this movie has your bog-standard early 90s MIDI synthesizer score. Yes. How did we feel about that? That it's ultimately forgettable. Yeah, I don't think it's actively bad. No. It didn't pull me out of the movie. Right. Yeah. But you're not remembering it. No. I actually quite liked it. I mean, I think I always have a soft spot for synth. And no matter how bad the synth sounds, you know, it was trying to sound like strings a lot. Mm. And you could tell it was not strings. But I love synthesizer scores when they are synth. <laughs> Early Carpenter, where it's very analog synthy and it's not pretending to be anything else. The 90s are always a dodgy period for me because mm. synth started to sort of sound like acoustic instruments. And so people yeah. try to sound like an orchestra. I don't think this one does it too much, though. Yeah. It doesn't do the full TV movie synth woodwind thing that makes me want to tear my hair out in clumps. (laughs) (laughs) But it does sort of sound X-Files-y in places, sort of those metallic samples and high clusters of strings where it just sounds like he's lent on the keyboard with his elbow for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It does. It really does sound like that. (laughs) One area where the remake does not outshine the original. Mm. I don't know if this is the question best served for your wrap-up, but what do you think constitutes a really good horror remake? That's a really good question. Yeah. And it's actually one that came up when we put out the call for patrons to choose Moobly Award categories. Yes. A surge of Cold Crash Pictures suggested best justification for remaking the original. Mm. I think in some cases, people want you to just update the original to just give it a fresh coat of paint, higher production values, better special effects, but stay very true to the spirit of the original with maybe a few twists. And that's kind of what this does, but people didn't really like this movie. Mm. There are people who say they want to keep it exactly the same. And then you end up with something like Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho. And people hated that movie. (laughs) And then you have people who say it's like doing a cover version of a great song, that Mm. the only justification for doing 
doing it is if you're going to bring a completely fresh spin on the material and bring something new to mm. it. And then you have like Suspiria, where it's completely unrelated whatsoever to Dario Argento's, and people hate that as well. Yeah. So, what is the? There is no one size fits all key to unlocking it, but yeah. it's a it's an interesting discussion worth having. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's also maybe time as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe having a, a large amount of time elapsed from the original. Well, how much time would that be? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Because, you know, 22 years for this remake was way too soon back when this was released. So it's maybe nobody's ever going to be happy, period. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to think of all the remakes I like. I mean, The Thing. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the original, though, so I I have nothing to compare to. Right. Are kids in 20 years going to be looking at the remake of Friday the 13th and praising it for how great it is <laughs> because maybe, they haven't seen the original. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with um, accessibility, you know, which one you come to first. You know, like the the fans, the stalwart fans of an original are going to hold tight to that. But, mm. you know, for me and I think for you, this was our entry point into Romero's canon for mm. Living Dead. So I don't know if I would have come to George Romero's original as quickly had it not been for this remake. And sure. maybe that's the same for a lot of modern remakes is it kind of helps people mm. discovery, basically. Yeah. yeah. It makes you wonder whether there are kids out there that watch the remake of Poltergeist and think that's great. Yeah. And then watch the original and wonder what the fuss is about. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find horrifying. <laughs> it is, but it's probably accurate. You're probably mm. spot on there. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. Okay, I'm sure you've all securely boarded yourself in and eagerly await the Moobly Awards where we nominate our favourite undead parts of the film in the number of gas pump exploding categories. Best quote. The only quote that really sticks out is Barbara's at the end. We're us and they're yeah. them. I botched mm. that wholly, but you get the gist. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very profound quote though. And quite shocking, I think right at the end of the movie because you think she's completely gone all out uh, gun-toting maniac but you can see that she's still wryly aware of what's going on here mm-hmm. exactly exactly how about you Conrad very quiet uh, you've mentioned it already but it was Ben's quote it doesn't take long for the world to fall apart mm. does it mm. and that's something that I'm keenly aware of this year but also because I've been watching virus outbreak movies. Never a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Like Contagion. And I'm constantly reminded of that phrase that civilization is a a fantasy agreed upon by everyone, that as soon as sort of the fallacy starts to fall away, society tips over relatively fast. Mm, So, yeah, it's, it's pretty scary. It is. It is. Oh, wow. Most 90s moment. Maybe Barbara's outfit in the opening is such an ah. odd outfit. Very, I'm going to go with that element is definitely the most 90s. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I was going to go for her haircut, 
because it's oh, this yes. Winona Ryder pixie cut that was so prevalent <laughs> in the 90s. I mean, it reminds me of Bridget Fonda and later in the yes. movie, Jennifer Jason Lee in Single White Female, mm -hmm. Mary Stuart Masterson in Some Kind of Wonderful, which was my favourite John Hughes movie, even though he didn't direct it, <laughs> and um, <laughs> Angelina Jolie in Hackers, and even, of course, Demi Moore in Ghost the same year. Ah. So, yeah, that cut was everywhere. Good call. Right. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Similarly, uh, I, I went for a fashion trend. Judy Rose with her baggy orange stripy button-up shirt. That really reminded me of DJ Tanner from Full House. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she also with her hair tied up uh, with a scrunchie, which is a very 90s thing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think the bottom dropped out of the scrunchie market in the, as soon as the millennium turned. Yes. <laughs> I will have to say my wife wears scrunchies now. She's bringing it back. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's about right. We're 30 years removed. It's time for 90s fashion, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> Best hair or costume? Well, I think the obvious answer is uh, Barbara's transition you know, she, she ditches the awful outfit in the beginning and she cobbles together a pretty sturdy end of the world outfit to, to yeah. battle on in from that farmhouse. So good job, yeah. Barbara. Mm. I mean, I don't know where she found combat boots that fit her, but farmhouse yes, had amazing. everything you could possibly need for the apocalypse. <laughs> That's true. Uh, for me, I think it has to be Sarah, the quote unquote little girl in the basement who <laughs> looks like a 20-year-old, which came as a shock compared to the original. And she appears to be a 20-year-old who was caught in the p apocalypse uh, whilst halfway through a production of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yes. She's wearing this massive, poofy yellow party dress and these white ankle socks with frills around them and these mm. shiny black dress shoes. Really? <laughs> In yeah. 1990? What is she wearing? <laughs> Favourite scene! I think the scene that always stood out to me the most, um, especially growing up with this movie, was when Barbara first enters the house and is encountering the former residents mm. of the home, like the hand that falls over the railing and the big sure. guy, like that, her first foray into that house was, was my favorite. Yeah, yes. Real tense scene. It is, yeah, and it was very surprising because none of that is in the original. Right, yes. And you, Dan? Well, uh, I don't know whether it's my favourite scene, and <laughs> I'm sure everyone will disagree with me, but I did really like the hammering. Uh, the hammering was, <laughs> was, it was resourceful, it was smart, it was, uh, everyone was team spirit there, apart from Cooper, obviously. <laughs> Uh, it was a, a good <laughs> team building exercise for for everyone <laughs> getting to know each other. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> I really like that. So basically, Dan would be the optimist you need in an apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Most cliche horror moment. I am going to say Cooper. Oh. Cooper is the biggest horror cliche, the 
beer-holding guy who's I'm in charge and yes. overbearing with the wife and it's like we've seen him before and Tom is a great character actor but it's it's <laughs> very cartoonishly villainous too. Mm. So yes. I'm thinking that he wins the prize. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> At least we get to see his brains get blown out in this <laughs> Yes, thank you, gratifying <laughs> moments, yes. <laughs> well, mine isn't necessarily a horror movie cliche, it's more of a movie cliche, which is the car that appears to be full of nitroglycerin because it goes off like a bomb, that oh, thing. That's true. <laughs> which is pretty amazing when we know that it doesn't have any fuel in it because that was the whole deal right they oh, needed yeah. to fill the car yeah. so yeah yeah it really goes up it's yeah quite impressive oh it's i'll give it's it amazing. A, a pass though because it gives you that brief moment in barbara's escape where you see them crowded around the charred corpse having zombie barbecue like <laughs> I oh mean, yes i'm i'm willing to overlook this crazy logic gap for for the rare glimpse of like gore that they didn't really have the rest of the movie yeah best special effect conrad just spoon-fed the answer the whole explosion in zombie barbecue right yeah yeah i think for me it's the emaciated shirtless zombie that barbara shoots in the doorway i just love those chest hits because yeah it's just Something you've never seen before in a practical effect, having an, mm. a blood bag and an explosive on a metal plate underneath uh, an application going off. It's just, yeah, right. quite shocking. Yeah. That's pretty cool. The corpse as well looks almost demon-like. It doesn't look human. Mm. Apparently it was just Tom Savini's taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. How about you, Dad? I really like that zombie that is run over by Ben uh, when he first mm. comes to the farmhouse and he's on the ground sort of clawing at the ground and, and wheezing and groaning and his whole body is bent right round like he's like a croissant or something. <laughs> I mean, that is... <laughs> That's something that's got to hurt, even if you are a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite sound effect. I did actually have a moment that I, I think is, <laughs> it amused me, the sound effect, which is when Ben is fighting Cooper and their battle sort of sprawls over the upright piano in the living room. Uh, and, oh, uh, yes, yes. You hear some random piano <laughs> key hits yes, as he's yes. ramming Cooper against it. And I found it particularly interesting because as far as I can tell, the lid is down on the piano. So I'm not quite sure how that's happening. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a piano there until I heard those piano keys. Oh, there must be a piano in the room. <laughs> Most funniest moment. I think Judy Rose as a whole is a pretty unintentionally funny character. She's kind of this odd blend of terrified yet really upbeat. Yeah. And there's a moment where she's, her boyfriend's like, do what I tell you, and they kiss. And it's just such an odd moment. It's like, I don't know that kissing is the thing that's going to calm her down, but it worked, I guess, because there yeah. she goes. So yeah, that moment and just her character as a whole, she's kind of like this unintentional comedic relief. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Her, her character is almost frantic in the way it just 
bounces from hysterical to actually helpful in 10 seconds. But in a weird <laughs> 80s sitcom sort of way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's the moment when Barbara mm. is attacked by another zombie when she's in the car. And it's this guy who appears to be wearing his burial suit mm. like a hospital gown. So his ass oh, yeah. is hanging out the back. Yeah. And <laughs> as, he's, as he's walking, he's walking on the trousers that sort of slowly peeling off. Mm. So there's this horrible prospect of this naked zombie guy wandering around, which isn't good at all. Oh, and apparently yeah. it's the movement coach, the guy who was teaching everyone how to be zombies. That's who it was. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the movement coach is asked. That's my favorite funny scene. <laughs> <laughs> And that's our Moobly Awards. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, we are back for the final verdict. Should Night of the Living Dead, the remake, escape the boarded-up farmhouse to very slowly roam free, or should it be shot in the head, set on fire, and thrown into the basement that is the Ubiet? Erased from remake history. All right, Megan, you are our guest. What were your sort of final thoughts of this film? set it free um find its audience you know it's the perfect movie where you know i guess if a younger generation just doesn't understand the appeal of the original or maybe they need an access point to the original this is a perfect mm. movie for that i think it's a perfect discussion piece for remakes versus originals and it does a stellar job with the casting especially Patricia Tallman as Barbara who is way more interesting and obviously Tony Todd as Ben he is so good you know you want him yes. to be in more movies cast him yes. in more movies people mm. I agree with you Megan this film is it's kind of one of those films that it's great for people trying to get into horror and also long time horror fans there's so many sort of mm -hmm. little easter eggs and hints at other zombie films great characters I mean that's always my biggest sort of bugbear with a lot of horrors uh, just annoying characters that you just want all of them to die but with this film at least two of them are just amazing and it's yeah this film is, is kind of quite bleak at the end as well it's not a happy future really and I'm a sucker for tragedy. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I awesome. think this film is amazing. Conrad. So I was actually interested in seeing Tom Savini's take on this classic. I thought with some modern effects and with a modern sensibility and with a female lead character that doesn't end up catatonic and slappable for the remaining <laughs> uh, 60 minutes of the movie. But it kind of feels like it's it should be more visceral and more striking than it actually is. But at the same time, I was still surprised at how ahead of its time it was. It's mm -hmm. 1990, and yet it points towards 
the sort of postmodern movement that came with the new nightmare and scream mm. there are a few little nods and winks here and there and it also it predates the whole zombie rebirth that came with 28 days later mm. and Zack Snyder's dawn of the dead with mm. the fast zombies so you've still got the classic slow zombies and it's still very much a focus on uh, society rather than the zombies themselves mm. and in that it really does excel Patricia and Tony, the whole cast, um, they are amazing in this movie. I love the fact that they still have empathy for the human beings that, mm. that the zombies once were. It's a mixed bag for me. I wasn't sort of raving about it when it mm. finished, but at the same time, mm. I don't think it deserves to be forgotten. Yes. I think it's not terrible. Right. I think people should visit it if they haven't visited it before. So, And I think also that having heard you, Megan, I'm, I'm very much more convinced of its value than I was before. So I'm going to go for it as well. <laughs> so I guess that means we're setting it free. Yeah. We're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> so, Megan, it's been amazing having you with us today as our guest. Um, I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed hearing your thoughts on this movie. Where should they go if they want to hear more of your thoughts on movies? You can follow me on Twitter at HauntedMeg, um, and I'm definitely at BloodyDisgusting.com. Yes, just so many articles to dig through as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I write a lot, yes. It's a treasure trove. It really is. Thank you. Mm. In terms of just a complete aside, what are the genre of horror movies that you really, really love? I guess you, you have mentioned monster movies, but also what are some sort of undiscovered gems that you would recommend people? If we're keeping in theme with zombies, um, I Am Hero, it's Japanese was released a couple years ago. It's almost oh. like all three Romero flicks in one movie, but with its very specific twist with some seriously creepy zombies. Oh, um, okay. I would recommend that. I don't think that one gets discussed hardly ever. So right. that's a, a gem I would highly recommend. Um, I am all over the map because I have a voracious appetite to find, you know, new discoveries and, and mm. hidden gems that that should be talked about. So I'm everywhere, uh, found footage to even the things that I find tiresome, like there's always something worthwhile to discuss. So that's a really tough question for me to pinpoint. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, me personally, I actually enjoy watching bad horror movies as much as I enjoy watching good horror movies so there's there's fun in all of it for me so yeah i agree completely (laughs) yes that's true well that's fortunate because you may be in luck for our next episode in terms of the film we're doing (laughs) yes we'll be doing the 1976 american supernatural horror film burnt offerings i have never heard of this No, me neither, which doesn't bode well. But you never know. That's why we're here. We might have uncovered a classic. It stars Karen Black... The stewardess is flying the plane from the uh, one of the airport movies. Oh. Oliver Reed, Betty Davis, Lee H. Montgomery, and Burgess Meredith. We haven't done a ghosty haunting movie in a long while, so I'm keen to check this out. No, we haven't, and I'm really in the mood for a good one after I saw The Haunting of Bly Manor. But the less said about that, the better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I enjoyed it, though. <laughs> 
We can talk about that later, Conrad. Yes. <laughs> but if you listeners want to keep up to date with our episodes, please follow us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Movie Oubliette. We are, and you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, then head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you can nominate and vote on potential films for us to cover in future episodes, suggest Moobly Award categories, and for $5, you get access to loads of bonus material, including extended interviews with our special guests. Yes, and if you haven't already, please give us some feedback, some five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on it does help us out it really does it does gets the word out there thanks megan for joining us this halloween season with night of the living dead thank you guys so much for Mm. having me it was a blast you've been great thanks for listening happy halloween socially distance while you trick or treat yeah (laughs) trick or treat through skype bye bye guys goodbye Of this tend to forget. Come with us and open up the